0: A moment's prayer before the sermon. Let us pray. May the words that I speak now, the thoughts and the feelings that we all now experience, be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This is a joyous occasion. We have two confirmations in the service and a communion service to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, I will make this sermon brief. It probably will be sort of the headlines of three or four different sermons that I can preach on other occasions. But the starting point is the starting point of that very early piece of drama in English of the people coming to the tomb, the women coming to the tomb, Why have we come here today? What are we looking for? If you're looking for knockdown evidence that Jesus has been raised from the dead, if you're looking for evidence that he's been raised that will simply enable you to go away thinking, oh, thank goodness for that, that's true, now I can go and get on with the rest of my life, now I can walk out of this place. And live knowing that the resurrection of Christ is true, but simply carrying on as normal from now on. If that's what you're looking for, I'm sorry, you're going to be very disappointed. I'm not going to offer you knock down proof that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's not something you can argue people into believing the early Christians, experienced it as true. They didn't get clever arguments that proved it was true. They got testimony from people who had experienced it. And they passed on that testimony from one to the other. And the first scandalous thing about Easter for first century jews was that the message came from the women the first preachers of the christian gospel that christ had been raised was a bunch of women and every jew in the first century knew that what women said could not be trusted and wouldn't count as evidence in the law courts or in any philosophical discussion or any religious discussion. And the message of Christ's resurrection depends on people, men in particular, in the first century, believing what women say, trusting it, being prepared to explore it further. The first preachers of the gospel, and if you want to be really contemporary and polemical, the first ministers of the church were the women. And parts of us of the world have not caught up with that truth yet. Yet. It all depends on whether the men are prepared to trust what the women are saying. The women have gone to the tomb early in the morning because they'd not been able to go to the tomb the previous night. Jesus had been taken down from the cross and because it was not only a Sabbath but it was a Passover, he'd been buried very quickly. No chance to do the normal burial rites, the anointing of the body. No chance of doing anything of that. No chance even to buy the ointments. Because it had become the Sabbath. And all the shops were closed. And when the shops opened up again on the Saturday evening, because the day goes when the first star comes out after sunset to the same time the following day as soon as the Sabbath ends as the star comes out on Saturday night the shops open and they go to the shops they buy what they need but then it is too dark to go to the tomb and do anything so they have to wait overnight And so first thing on the Sunday morning, as soon as it starts to get light, even before the sun has come up, they go to the tomb because they are so committed to caring for their Lord and Master. You remember the other parts of the story, Judas had betrayed him, Peter denied him, others had fallen asleep and they'd all melted away. So they weren't there when he hung on a cross except for the women and it is the women who stuck with him all the men promised to serve him and never to abandon him and failed the women never promised but succeeded. And so, first thing in the morning, they go to the tomb. They go to the tomb to care for... And they discover the tomb is empty. And they hear that he's been raised. And they take the message back. Or rather, Mark's Gospel says that they don't. Mark's Gospel says they run away because they're too scared to say anything. They knew they wouldn't be trusted. They knew they wouldn't be believed. And even the women who've been so much more successful than the men have weaknesses and fail at the last moment. But somewhere They get the courage to say something. Somewhere beyond the time that Mark's gospel ends, they're able to speak. That's why we're here. Without them having said something, the Christian church wouldn't exist. The gospel wouldn't be known about. We wouldn't be here. they bring back a message and what a strange message it is it says don't go looking for Jesus raised to new life in places like tombs in holy places where you can put him don't stay around here go back to Galilee is the message they bring and Galilee is the place in Mark's gospel where they had been trained to work with him. It's where they've been trained to be disciples, where they've been trained to say the things he said, to do the things he did, where they've been trained to go on mission. And now they're being told to go and get on with what he trained you to do. Get on doing the things that Jesus did and saying the things that Jesus said. Get on with that in your everyday life and then you will see him because you'll be working with him. When Jesus is raised to life, it's a great bundle of energy and he streaks off into the distance. Getting on with the mission of God's kingdom and the challenge of the resurrection life is to go and get on with being a disciple and then you will see him and they did. They went back to Galilee, some went fishing, some walked down a road towards a village and started talking about what had happened to Jesus to a stranger started looking at the scriptures with that stranger and suddenly seeing that it was Jesus there with them. As they got on with being disciples, they encountered him. And in the reading from 1 Corinthians we heard, St. Paul gives a list of all the people he appeared to who were getting on with being disciples. And I asked for it to stop at verse 7 so I could make this point now, because the very next verse verse 8, St. Paul says, and eventually he even appeared to me. The message is go and get on with being a disciple. And you will encounter him. You will meet him. You will discover that he's alive in what you're doing and alive in you. You will discover as you're a disciple, you will be able to see him out there in the world. We come here to church on a morning like this. We gather around the table of Christ. We share a meal. As he shared a meal with his friends and followers the night before he was put to death, as he had shared meals with his friends and followers on the mountainside, and as, as he shared a meal with his friends and followers in that house in the village called Emmaus, by the lakeside when they'd gone back fishing. The risen Christ shared meals again. And as we share around his table, we will find that he is really here And that he is alive again and becomes one with us, and his energy of his risen life, the energy of the resurrection, enters us and empowers us to be his friends, his followers, his body in the world. And that's pretty scary that turns your life upside down. The poet Charles Causley talked about in a wonderful poem, a couple of lines from it, he says, they took Jesus by the left leg, they took him by the arm, they locked him in a cathedral in case he came to harm. (coughs) Too often we try and lock Jesus away, where he can be safe, where people won't hurt him again, but also where he can't make any difference to our everyday life. But the Jesus who was raised to new life by God is full of the energy of God's love, which lives on, and he bursts out of any place you try and lock him away, even if that's in your own heart. He bursts out and he goes off and he calls you to go with him he calls you to follow him then you will really know him and that's a challenge for all of us and it's a challenge for Reginald and Alan who are being confirmed today they're making their step of commitment in baptism They were made members of the church. Now as they grow up, they come to the point where they make that faith their own and make their own commitment. They are called not to believe 600 impossible things and strange doctrines before breakfast. They're called to follow Jesus to commit themselves with all their weaknesses and failings, to commit themselves to doing their best, to following Jesus. Knowing that as they do, he will be with them. And Reginald Allen, there's lots of other people here who've been where you are, and it can be pretty scary, but there's lots of other people here None of whom is living a perfect Christian life. At least I've not met any of you yet who are. But who know that as you try and do what Jesus did and say what Jesus said and follow him, know that he is with you. And it changes your life and turns it upside down. May God bless you both, and may God bless us all this Easter time. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We say together again the responses, as on the service sheet. The responses at the end of the sermon. Who are you looking for in the tomb? He's not here. He's risen just like he'd said he would. Go, announce that he has risen from the tomb. The hymn number 212, Thine be the glory, risen conquering son.